0: All right, well, good morning, Faith Fellowship. Welcome back to our series in Acts that we are calling The Birth of the Church. As always, we want to remind you, if you missed a message, any message, you can always go to FFCSermon or Sermons.org where you can listen online, you can download, you can even get the messages via a podcast. You can also also go to FFCPH.org where you can click on the live link, and you can watch a previous message that was recorded either on YouTube or Facebook. We'll be looking in Acts chapter 20 today to see what God has for us. So let's pray as we continue on our journey through the Acts of the Apostles. Father, we thank you for your presence with us today. We thank you that you are a God who is infinitely bigger than we are, a God beyond compare, but yet a God who loves us, and who's focused his attention on us, so much so that you sent your son. And Father, we thank you that you restored a broken relationship, and we look forward to one day when we will be face-to-face with you, and perfect as our bodies are transformed, our hearts and minds completely, into the image of your dear son, Jesus Christ, as you conform us to his image. We thank you for that. We ask for your blessing on our time this morning in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, everybody wants to be known for something. George Washington was known, of course, for being our first president. Check. There. Got it now? All right. George Washington was known for being our first president. He was also known for cutting down a cherry tree. In fact, the very axe hatchet that his father gave him for his birthday at the age of six. What did George do? He immediately went out and cut down his father's favorite cherry tree. And when his father asked him, George, did you do that? He said, I cannot lie. My brother did it. No, no, actually, he he fessed up and he said, I cannot lie. It, It was me. Abraham Lincoln, honest Abe, was known for abolishing slavery, the Emancipation Proclamation, the Gettysburg Address. He was also the first president to be assassinated. Martin Luther King was known for his great work in the Civil Rights Movement, his, his powerful speech, I Have a Dream, also sadly assassinated for that effort. Muhammad Ali claimed to, be, uh, claimed to be able to float like a butterfly and sting like a bee, right? He said, I am the greatest that ever lived. Sandra <coughs> Day O'Connor was the first Supreme Court, woman Supreme Court justice that we have had. Donald Trump was, well, the verdict is still out on that one. We'll see there where that one goes. But certainly he was the tweeter-in-chief. Today we are going to be looking at a passage about a guy named Eutychus. And what was Eutychus known for? Eutychus was known for falling asleep in church. Well, I guess he's in good company. That is Pope Benedict XVI nodding off during an outdoor mass that he was conducting. Can you imagine that? Let me catch a few Z's right now while I'm up here. In the middle, this is in Malta's capital back in 2010. That's pretty bad. Now, Eunicus had some trouble staying awake in church. And I'm sure none of us have ever had that problem. I know that I have. And the story of Eutychus is found in Acts chapter 20, verses 7 to 12. And it's another one of these odd stories, at least I think they're odd, that Luke, that Luke throws into his second work, the Acts of the Apostles. His first work was his gospel that bears his name. I'm drawn to these stories and the reasons why Luke might have included them. This much I have learned in my 45-year journey of being a Christian. God doesn't waste words. I do, but God doesn't. And while I am a firm believer that God has an amazing and incredible sense of humor, I don't think he threw this story in here for comic relief. If it was important enough for him to include in the Scriptures, then he meant for us to learn from it. He meant for, us, for it to affect our lives. So if you would open your Bibles, we'll dive in and see what we can see. In the few Bibles, I believe it's page 788. If you brought your own, you know where to go. I also have the words up here on the screen. Starting in verse 7. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where he was meeting. Seated in the window was a young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Paul went down and threw himself on the young man and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed. He said he's alive. Then he went upstairs again, broke bread and ate. After talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive and we're greatly comforted. As we start out this morning I want to acknowledge Andrew Artenbury and his paper Warning to the Wise Learning from Utica's Mistake. It was a great help for me in preparing for this morning. If you think you are safe falling asleep in church then you had better watch out. A man frequently fell asleep in church, and so the pastor decided to devise a plan. During one service, the pastor asked his congregation while the man was sleeping, he said, all who want to go to heaven, please rise. And they all did, and they all quietly sat down. And then at the top of his voice, he bellowed, all who want to go to hell, stand up now. Only the sleeper stood up. The sleeper looked around and said, I don't know what we're voting on, Reverend, but it looks like you and I are the only ones for it. That one kind of backfired him on a little bit. When I was in high school, my wife and I were in high school. We went to the same high school, and, and, uh, during, and we traveled as a, a class block from class to class in history class. The history teacher's name was Dr. Ashri. dead boring as the history teacher. We had a guy, he sat next to me, I can't even remember his name now, fell asleep in class. And he said at the end of the class, and he knew he was asleep, he had all of us get up quietly and leave and go to our next class. And he had the next class come in and sit down quietly. It was midway through the next period when the guy comes into class going, oh man, that was just wrong. Y'all could have told me, woken me up. It it was pretty funny for us and for, well, not for him so much, but for everyone else. When we look through the scriptures, falling asleep hasn't always worked out. Samson fell asleep and woke up bald and beaten. Sisera died of a headache when Jael drove a tent stake through his temple while he slept in her tent. It's a gruesome story, worth a read. It's in Judges 4, 23. Jonah fell asleep in the boat, woke up wet. Peter got scolded in the Garden of Gethsemane for falling asleep while Jesus was praying. And he received this warning. Jesus said, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Two more times, Peter, James, and John fell asleep while Jesus prayed. Mark 14, 37. Eutychus nodded off in church and fell out the window three stories to his death. The downfall of Eutychus is certainly... To modern ears, a strange story, but it would have offered moral guidance to an ancient reader. It exhorts them to learn from Eutychus' youthful mistakes and to avoid spiritual laxity at all costs. In Acts 27 to 12, we encounter a fascinating story about Paul raising a young man from the dead. By this point in the Book of Acts. Paul has already concluded his final work in Greece and is in the midst of saying farewell to the Christians in Asia Minor. In particular, he had already spent six days in Troas and he is down to his final night there. And as a result, Paul spends his time, his last hours in preaching, in worshiping God, in breaking bread in an upper room, in a house church gathering. In fact, we are told that midnight has already arrived, and Paul shows no signs of stopping. It is at this point that we meet Eutychus, an adolescent worshiper in the Troas congregation, whose name, literally translated, means lucky. Isn't that ironic? I think God does have a sense of humor, or fortunate one. Unfortunately, the man falls asleep, falls out of the window in which he is sitting, falls three stories to the ground, and dies. Astonishingly, though, Paul goes downstairs, raises Eutychus from the dead, and then resumes his role as the leader of the all-night worship service in the upper room. Finally, we are told that Paul continues preaching until the sun comes up and that the church received great comfort from the revitalization of Eutychus. While interesting on many levels, this story presents us with a variety, though, of challenging questions. For example, if we assume, and it's an reasonable assumption to make, that the author purposely included the story about Eutychus' resuscitation in the book of Acts, we got to ask, what did Paul see as the purpose for this story? Interpreters have generally concluded that Luke hoped that Acts would shape his readers' thoughts, their imagination and behavior. Remember, he wrote this for Theophilus so that he might know. Well, okay, how? Well, How would Luke's earlier readers have understood this particular story? And what lessons would Luke hope to have his readers draw from the text? In order to see that, we have to consider two things. The cultural norms assumed by the readers of ancient narratives. And the overarching story not only of Acts, but of the whole Bible. By reading individual narrative units or stories within their cultural context and within their broader literary context we often find significant clues that point us toward reliable interpretations of those stories, patterns of interpretation, if you will. Some interpreters have concluded that Eutychus' fall, or they see it as a a no-fault happenstance, pointing out that this is what happens when preachers preach too long. And, of course, these interpreters arrive at their conclusions for good reason. Paul's theological reflections lasted all night long. Most people feel empathy for Eutychus. We reason that Eutychus can be excused for falling asleep during Paul's lengthy sermon. We are more moved to likely criticize the long-winded preacher than the kid who dozes off. Some modern interpreters have seen Acts twenty seven to 12 through a humorous lens. And I can see that. It's a funny story to a degree part of course from him dying and all. I'm an individual I'm an individual who is a fan of a good dozer. And I don't mean a bulldozer. I mean somebody who dozes off to sleep. It can be entertainment. In fact, I'd say it's great entertainment. It's live and in living color with HD clarity. We've all seen people fall asleep in school and on the job. But when they fall asleep in church it can be particularly entertaining. There's no better entertainment underneath the sun than to watch somebody fighting it in church, trying to keep their eyes open. The church I grew up with, uh, in a father stood up to pray, and he prayed for a rather a long time. And next to him was seated his young son, maybe at the age of three or four years old. And while his father was praying, the boy laid down on his father's chair. His father had his eyes closed. He was praying. But everyone knew where that boy was when his father said amen and sat down on the boy's head. And all you could hear was a muffled cry. No one was asleep at that point. Well, there are four categories, I think, that we can put dozers into. You may see one of them today. Maybe not. If not, keep your eyes open. It's sure to happen. The first type is somebody I call the Hollywood dozer. Now, let me show you these people. These are the people who are, who are nodding off, oh, but then when they, when they, when they wake up, they, they pretend like, oh, I was in the middle of doing something else. They're, they're putting on an act and a show, like, so you won't know that they were sleeping. Why don't they just admit it, that they were, they were falling asleep? The second type of dozer is somebody I call the shameless dozer. Now, mind you, I haven't seen too many people fall asleep here in Faith Fellowship Church, but, but growing up, I went to a lot of Bible conferences where we would have a morning Bible study for two hours, followed by a big lunch, followed by an afternoon Bible study for two hours, followed by a big dinner, followed by a gospel meeting for an hour and a half, followed by an optional two-hour Bible study, followed by a late prayer meeting that might go on for an hour, hour and a half. We could lose half the audience at that last one. People were zonked out, and then we'd get up and do it again for the next four days. The shameless dozer they come in bold. Now these are the individuals who come in, and you know that they have every intention of sleeping. Now usually, I, I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but, but usually it was the ladies. It was because they could hide it. First, they would bring in, they would bring in that big pocketbook. It'd be slung over their arm, and they'd have that sucker ready to go, right? Then they'd start pulling things out of that big pocketbook. First, they'd pull out, they'd pull out a blanket. So that they could stay warm, have something to throw across their legs, something to sit on, right? And then out would come, out would come all of the snacks. Supposedly for the kids, but we all know who the snacks were for. Finally, out would come a thermos full of either cold or warm drink that they could enjoy, right? My wife could clean up on let's make a deal on all the stuff that she could fit into her pocketbook. Anything was bottomless, it seemed. (laughs) Then out comes, uh, you know, whatever else that they might have for that show. And they would would reserve the seats on both sides of them because you knew they were getting ready to stretch out. They were going to catch a good nap. Well, then there are the devotional dozers. Devotional dozers are, are individuals who try to look more religious so that nobody can tell they are sleeping. You ever seen the the, uh, the Bible dozer. They got the Bible open and their head down. But what gives them away is that bottom lip just sticking out there a little bit too far, or maybe the drool that might start coming, right? They just want to look more meditative than the rest of us. And the final one has to be my favorite. That one I call the whiplash dozer. And you got to see the side view of that. You know, if if you're behind them, it's pretty good. But from the side is where you get the best view of that dozer. They're sitting in church and and all of a sudden they go, bam, and the head goes back and forth. And and you're like, oh, that had to hurt. And after church, you just feel compelled to go up to them and say, brother, do you need some medical attention? Are your vertebrae okay? I got a number for a good prior Let me give that to you. The difficulty, however, is that these readings, well, they don't really explain why Luke would have included the story in the book of Acts. More likely, the first reader of Acts would have likely interpreted Uticus's action as a tragic mistake, one that could have and should have been avoided and prevented. Giving an, uh, an ancient Mediterranean culture and a broad view of both Acts and, and Luke and the rest of the scriptures, Uticus. Eutychus' fall seems to be depicted more as a downward uh, fall rather than an excusable accident. Bad luck is not responsible for his deadly event. Eutychus is. Eutychus' name means lucky. He was only fortunate because Paul was there to prevent and to reverse the natural repercussions of his careless action. Now, it's not all Eutychus' fault. It's not like he was alone. Someone could have reached out to the brother. Someone could have said, hey, brother, that's, that's not a good idea. You don't want to be sitting in the window like that. You might fall. Come back to the circle where the light is. But our culture today, maybe their culture then was, was well, somebody else will do it. Somebody else will take care of him. I don't even know that guy. I, I'm not getting involved. I'm just going to focus on what I'm doing. But Paul tells us in his letter to the Galatians that we are to carry each other's burdens and in this way fulfill the law of Christ. But I think Eutychus bears a lot of the brunt of the responsibility for his actions. Clearly, Eutychus was physically tired. Consider the circumstances. It was late. They got together to break bread. Now, breaking bread in the Scriptures means that they were going to have communion. We have communion. Once a month. But unlike the communion we have, theirs was centered around an entire meal. So unless you brought snacks or you had a wife or a girlfriend with a big purse, you might have been pretty hungry or thirsty by the time midnight rolled around. My guess is it might have been a little warm, maybe a little stuffy. Sitting near a window would have provided fresh air, but sitting in the window, not a good idea. Maybe he had been up late the night before and his body just took over and shut down. Missing out on a good night's sleep can severely affect your emotional and spiritual health. Quite simply, lack of sleep makes you vulnerable. Biologists tell us that there are two main processes that regulate sleep, uh, circadian rhythms and sleep drive. Circadian rhythms are controlled by a biological clock located in our brain. One key function of that clock is to respond to light cues. Ramping up production of the hormone melatonin at night and then switching it off in the morning when light begins to appear. People who have total blindness often have trouble sleeping because they are unable to detect those light cues. Sleep drive plays a significant role as well. Your body craves sleep much the way it craves food. Throughout the day, your desire for sleep builds. And when it reaches a certain point, you need to sleep. But there's a major difference between sleep and hunger. Your body can, can't force you to eat, but it can force you to sleep when you are tired, even when you're in a meeting or behind the wheel of a car. If you've ever felt groggy or a little foggy after waking up from a poor night's sleep, it won't surprise you to know that it significantly impacts all of your functions, your brain function in particular. Sleep is vital to the rest of the body. When people don't get enough sleep, their health risks uh, arise. Symptoms of depression go up, seizures, high blood pressure, migraines worsen. Immunity is compromised, increasing, increasing the likelihood of illness and infection. I think Eutychus was a man at risk, a brother at risk. And Luke's description of him falling asleep spoke not only to him being physically tired, But spiritually vulnerable as well. So let's look at some of the details of what Luke gives us in this story. Well, first he says, they were meeting in an upstairs room. Now, you could easily miss the importance of that statement. Why is it important? Well, this is not the first time an upper room is mentioned in the New Testament. In both Luke and Acts, upper rooms provide an intimate setting for Jesus' followers. For example, in Luke 22, 7-38, Jesus communes and dines with his disciples in an upper room on the night of his arrest. In Acts 1, 13-14, Jesus' disciples are once again gathered together in an upper room when they pick Judas' replacement. Likewise, Peter resuscitates Tabitha, who was laid out in an upper room in Acts 9, 36-42. And here in Acts twenty seven to 12 the Christians in Troas worship God in an upper room. In all of these settings, a connotation exists of intimacy and sincere discipleship. But Eutychus withdrew from the center of action to sit in the window. I believe it created an ominous tone. Eutychus had pulled himself away from the action. He pulled away from fellowship. The writer of Hebrews has this to say. He says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. We need close, intimate fellowship with each other if we are going to make it. It's not a mistake that Paul refers to Christianity and to Christians as a body of believers. The eye cannot say to the hand or the foot, I have no need of you. It needs all the parts in order to properly work together. The idea of loving or one anothering comes up some 36 times in the New Testament by my count. We can't do that short of intimate and personal and close fellowship as we gather around the Word of God and His love. The Christians in Troas show themselves to be a faithful gathering of Jesus' followers by means of their worship of God in the breaking of bread. They are breaking bread, worshiping God, and existing in unity, much like we see in Acts chapter 2. In fact, let's take a look at that. Acts chapter 2, that first church, it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread into prayer, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. The lamps allowed them to come to continue in the light throughout the night while darkness had fallen outside of that upper room and all around them. The Christians in Troas prepared for a whole evening of worship and communion when they brought their lights with them a miraculous act of someone being raised from the dead is about to occur. You can't miss the parallels between the stories. Luke is showing that they are in faithful continuity with Jesus. They are carrying on the work of Jesus after his death, and Jesus' spirit is at work in them. Paul's actions show that the Spirit of God is at work through the Apostle Paul as well. All of the elements from Acts chapter 2 are repeated here in this story. Teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and a miraculous sign done by an apostle. All explicitly appear except for prayer, but i got to imagine that was going on too. And in the middle of all of this, Eutychus is falling asleep. When we pull away from the light, when we drift away toward the outside, we become vulnerable. Picture Eutychus sitting in the window. On one side of him is the light of fellowship with believers. It's the the blessing of the body of an Acts church who love and care for one another. There is ministry of the saints that is taking place one to another. On that side, there is a bond of common salvation that they share, a fellowship in that as well. In a, in, a, in a common salvation, there is the truth of the Word being taught that the Apostle Paul is doing that very evening, and there is a spirit of worship. There's an old Gaither song that I think fits well here. It's called, I'm, a Glad, it's called, I'm So Glad I Am Apart. Of the family of God, who knows that song? Few people know that song. A couple hands. Well, here these are the words. It says, "You will notice." We say brother and sister around here. It's because we're a family, and these folks are so near. When one has a heartache, we all share the tears and rejoice in each victory. In this family so dear, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by His blood. Join heirs with Jesus. As we travel this side, for I'm part of the family, the family of God. From the door of an orphanage to the house of the king, no longer an outcast, a new song I sing. From rags unto riches, from the weak to the strong, I'm not worthy to be here, but praise God, I belong. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by the blood. Join heirs with Jesus as we travel this side, for I am part of the family, the family of God. And on the other side of Eutychus was an open window full of darkness and the cold and lonely night. Was Eutychus torn between two worlds, trying to have one foot, if you will, in one world and one foot in the other? Whatever it was, it resulted in a three-story fall to his death. Why three stories? Well, since we're drawing parallels, my mind goes all the way back to Psalm 1 that David wrote. And David had this to say. He says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do, prospers. I'd like you to notice the downward three-story progression that David outlines. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the company of mockers. Do you see that? Three steps, walking, then standing, stopping moving forward, and then followed by sitting down. Our fall from a close and intimate relationship with God begins when we walk in step with the wicked. That's floor number three. And before we even know it, we have stopped moving forward and we are standing in the way that sinners take. Floor number two. And then we find that we have hit rock bottom as we sit in the company of mockers. Floor number three, floor number one in the ground. And spiritually, we are in a funk that looks like we are dead. Look, here it is. Eutychus, he didn't fall asleep instantly. It says that he was falling into a deep sleep. It was a gradual thing. First, he had to walk toward the window, away from the light of fellowship and ministry and discipleship, from the gospel and from worship, floor number three. Then he had to to find a window to climb into so that he could find a comfortable spot and stop moving. He stopped moving. He's standing in the way of sinners. That's floor number two. Finally, he's sitting and he succumbs to the pull of sleep and falls out of the window into the world. That's floor one in the ground, and he is taken up for dead. Eutychus had a fellowship of believers who were characterized by the mark of faithful Christian worship. We see both Paul and the Christians in Troas wide awake, worshiping God and breaking bread at midnight. They are in an upper room that is illuminated by lamps, when darkness surrounds them on all sides. Eutychus is the only Christian brother who behaves otherwise. He falls asleep, which prevents him participating in the acts of worship, and of service, and of ministry, and of the gospel, and of discipleship. Moreover, his, his slumber, his sleep, has tragic consequences for him. He is no longer able to uh, or alert to the work of God. Instead, when he falls asleep, he also falls away from the worshiping community and into the darkness and down three stories to the ground resulting in death. And even though most of Jesus' disciples fall asleep at, at uh, inappropriate times in Luke's gospel, in the book of Acts they always seem to be awake even at night when things are happening. Yet the youthful Eutychus is a counterexample, And it's just as we funnily, are, are, are tempted to begin reading the story of all of these early Christians and, and thinking that they just were triumphant everywhere that they went. We encounter this sort of this odd story. Just as we begin wondering whether these early Christians could ever slip and fall, we are, we are faced with the story of Eutychus drifting away and experiencing tragic consequences. Fortunately, the story doesn't end there. Paul is there to restore Eutychus to full fellowship, but it's going to have to get personal. Paul is going to have to get pretty intimate with the bloody and messy details of Eutychus' life if it's going to restore him back to full fellowship. When we read the verses in the beginning, the uh, message, a part of that, translates part of what Paul said. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, put his arms around him, and he said, Don't be alarmed. He said, he's alive. Well, the message paraphrases that as, there is life in him yet. And so there was. Worship team, you can begin making your way back up. Paul had to get up close and personal with Eutychus to bring him back to full life and fellowship in the church and function. Real close. He threw himself on this young man and put his arms around him. That's close enough to smell his bad breath to get a strong width of his body over, to be covered in some of the same bodily fluids that were on Eutychus. And what is Paul's reaction to this brother going rogue? Serves him right. Shouldn't have been sleeping in the first place. Nah, Paul throws his arms around him. Are we willing to go that far to bring someone back into the body and into fellowship where they belong? Paul commands us in his letter to the Galatians, he says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, as you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they uh, they deceive themselves. Eutychus is now restored. And the great thing, I think, is that they don't spend a lot of time harping on it. They don't keep bringing it up to Eutychus about how he fell out the window, repeating that story. Did you see that? Were you here? Oh, let me tell you the whole story. Here he was. Bam, there he go, out the window. It says that they went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. And after talking until daylight, Paul left. He's back to full fellowship. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. The downfall of Eutychus is certainly an odd story to our modern ears, but it offers a warning to the wise, a sobering reminder to the readers of Acts, to the followers of Jesus that says, beware of drifting away from authentic worship in a community that does so. The consequences can be deadly. We aren't meant to be on our own. We're meant to be in a family of believers. Luke wants us to learn from Eutychus' youthful and immature mistake. I'm reminded of a church bulletin that I saw once that said, don't let worry kill you off, let the church help. I don't think that's quite what they meant, but it certainly reads funny. We we don't want to be hurtful here, we want to be helpful. And if you are struggling and looking to reconnect, we want Faith Fellowship to be a place that that can happen. Contact us, talk to us, fill out a response card. Be aware though. It might get a little personal as we restore you back to fellowship, and hopefully we do that gently. Faith Fellowship, know that God is for you and not against you. Let me pray, and we'll end with a song. Father, we thank you for your presence here. We thank you for your restoring spirit, that you care for us, that you love us so greatly that you don't leave us on our own, even when we screw things up, that you are always there. Father, I thank you for the story of Jonah. When Jonah hit rock bottom, that we read that the word of the Lord came to Jonah a third time. And that even after screwing up multiple times, Father, you keep showing up to restore us. We thank you for your power and your presence, Father. May we be believers who do the same as we love, care, and nurture one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.